Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It's good to uh, be together this weekend as a uh, church on a very beautiful Sunday morning that we did not anticipate. I thought it was going to be nasty and rainy outside, so God bless us with a beautiful sunny uh, morning. Last week, we started a brand new series, uh, Sojourners, Living in a World That Is Not Our Own, where we're studying through the book of First Peter for uh, the next couple of months. And as a way of reminder, this letter is written to churches like ours about a time such as ours. Uh, we are living in what many would call a post-Christian city. Some use the language of uh, post-modern very much like the pre-Christian society that Peter is writing to his original first century readers. And studying this letter will help us endure in suffering as Christians. Now we recognize, once again, as we did last week, we are not suffering persecution in the sense that they are in other countries and that they are here in this letter, but it is getting increasingly, increasingly harder to be a Christ follower in our own country, specifically where we are. It's less and less accepted, and in some ways we are looked at as the ones who are intolerant. And so we started by recognizing that God is sovereign over our lives. That's a big word, meaning that God is in control over everything, uh, as hard as that may be to believe over the last couple of years. And he uses every single trial in our lives, every single trial. So if you're going through a trial right now, or you just got out of a trial, or maybe you're getting ready to go through a trial, God uses every single trial in our lives to transform us more and more into his likeness. And so by acknowledging the reality that we are sojourners in a hostile world, we are reminded that our rootedness, that our connectedness is in God's love. And what Peter's going to do this week is he's going to lead his readers to praise God. He's, he's going to lead them to praise God for his great salvation. He's going to point to what we have in Christ and what really, in a sense, what makes us sojourners and he's going to say, as a result, you need to praise God. And so today we're going to pick up back where we left off last week in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible or the app on your phone, go ahead and open to 1 Peter. And we'll be in verses 3 through 5 this weekend. Now, have you ever thought about what makes you you? What, what makes you unique? At birth, we inherit many things from our parents, whether we like it or not. We share a genetic makeup with our parents. So if your parents are a certain um, ethnicity or maybe a certain height or a certain skin complexion or hair color, and um, you know, not even really just your parents, even like uncles, you know, uh, as I realize that unfortunately I have a hairline that I don't love, I get to blame my mom's brothers. Thank you if you guys are watching this morning. All three of them are bold. Um, but we share a genetic makeup with our parents in both our strengths and our weaknesses. And then we're given an ethnic makeup from our parents, which also gives us our status, like typically as citizens. In the U.S., think like, I'm a citizen because of my, my parents who are citizens in this country. And we also, until at least we get, become an adult, we inherit a socioeconomic status. So you grow up a certain way. Maybe it's middle class or maybe it's lower class or maybe it's upper class, but you didn't do anything to inherit that. You just were born into that family. And so some of us fully embrace the, uh, and appreciate everything we inherit from our parents. And you think, man, this is great, and I love this. But some things we kind of struggle against and we fight against, and we are shaped by those things our entire lives. Our birth 
identifies us. What Peter's going to do this week, he's going to remind us that God is worthy of our praise because he has granted us a new birth to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. So what Peter's going to do this week, he's going to speak about a new birth. And then we will see that with this new birth, it gives us a new identity. It gives us a new citizenship. As you'll hear us sometimes say that we are citizens of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And it's at this new birth where God is our father and we are his children. And so Peter, we're going to explain later in this letter, not this week, that the father brings about this new birth of his children by the seed of his word. And this new birth is what results in a new life. Now imagine how good this is to those feeling estranged from the world. That this is the news that you are told. That there is a new birth. Regardless what you're experiencing in this life, regardless if you appreciate where you are or don't appreciate that there is a new birth that you get. This is good news. I think about the um, people that we worked with in South Asia. The country we were working in, we worked with some of the poorest of the poor in the entire world. And their worldview that many of them grow up under tells them that this is the best that they'll ever be. And that they did something in a former life to deserve this. And we come in and say, actually, the gospel when Jesus kind of shatters this. Like, you might deal with that with this life, but in the, in the next life, in this eternal life, if you are in Christ, it actually gets much, much better. And that is good news for them. So I imagine the first readers, this is encouraging. That, man, this is good news. And so the message that Peter comes in with this week is, regardless of your original birth, those born again by the word of God are born again to a new life. You're born to a new identity as God's sons and daughters. And this is good news because this should become our deepest identity. I think sometimes I look around our culture, I look around our generation, and we deal with identity crisis on many different levels. But if we're in Christ, Peter is saying that this identity should actually trump your birth identity. This should trump maybe your feelings and your thoughts and your desires as we're reminded who we are in Christ, not because of anything that we did in our past, not because of our parents, not because of our genetics, but because of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And so the main point of our message this morning is to praise God for his mercy in providing our new birth through Christ's resurrection, resulting in a living hope, which is what I've titled the message this morning. Now, in the original Greek, this section, verses uh, 3 through 12, are one long and complex sentence. But our main theme is immediately introduced in verse 3, which is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. But let me start out by just reading this entire section, verses 3 through 12. We'll probably do that over the next couple of weeks as we get through this section in 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we ask that your word would not return void and that we'd be reminded of the living hope that we have as those who are in Christ. God, we pray that if anyone listening this morning, tuning in this morning, if they aren't in you, if they don't know you, God, that this would be the morning that they realize they need to put their trust in you and that they too can have a living hope. In your name, amen. So if you're note this, taking notes this morning, we have two main points that we're going to look at in verses 3 through 5. We're going to look, see that first, that God establishes our hope in Christ. That would be kind of our theme verse this week. And second, God maintains our hope through our inheritance. And so the first thing we're going to see is that God establishes our living hope in Christ. Let me read verse 3 for us. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter starts out by saying, Blessed be which literally means to speak a good word about. This is why when we gather around, sometimes we do this at Sojourn, and we'll, we'll kind of gather around someone and lay hands, or we'll extend our hands towards them, and we'll say, let's pray a blessing over them. It's because we are saying, let's speak good words about them. And so Peter here is admonishing us to speak a good word about God by praising God or by blessing God. This is the same thing we do each week, which we just did as Ben leads us in Psalms. What we're doing is we're praising God and we're blessing God. We're recognizing that God is, is worthy of our praise. And our, our praise and our worship really pales in comparison to what we give him, but, but this is a small offering towards God, and we're recognizing that's the posture of our hearts. And so we see that God is worthy of our praise because in his grace and in his mercy, he saved us through the work of his son, Jesus, and he's now given us a new life in Christ. What I like about that is we recognize that it's God all throughout the process. <laughs> you and I don't really didn't have much of anything to do with that because God is worthy because of his grace. God is worthy because of his mercy. God saved us through his son. It all points back to God. You and I, like I said, we, we didn't do anything for our own salvation. And so the reason that God is to be praised is now explained. It says he has caused us to be born again. Or some translations, depending on what you're using, might say he has given us new birth. Later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he'll tell us this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so we see it's by God's great mercy that we are born anew. Literally meaning he calls us to be born again. And so Peter's thinking about the spiritual life that God has given his people. We see this phrase, by his great mercy. This is actually the, uh, the, the same type of preposition that we looked at last week in verse 2. We talked about this idea of, of foreknowledge. And we kind of unpacked that a little bit more in our gospel community this past week. But the idea that salvation is ours according to God's great mercy. Once again, it's not because of anything that we did. But what exactly have we been born again to? Have you ever thought about that? Like what we're born again, like we use this language, what, what have we been born again to? The text says we have been born again to a living hope. Think about a living hope. When something's living, it's alive, it's well, it's, it's 
something that's genuine and vital. This is really what gets us through our lives. I mean, this is what Peter's writing to these sojourners, these strangers, right? If you have a living hope, it's, it's helping you get through the day in and day out mundane life, the challenges, the struggles, the persecution, in contrast to what I'll call just a, a worldly hope, one that is empty and vain. You know, you can just hope in your own thoughts and you can hope that, you know, on, on whatever it may be, but those things always tend to crumble and fall. They may give you a little bit of, uh, a little bit of hope for a little while, but they always end up going away. And, and Peter's saying, no, but in Christ we have a living hope. It's alive and it's well. And that the hope is the eager, confident expectation of the life to come. He points this around that God brought about this new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's this resurrection that secures his people for their resurrected bodies and new spiritual life that will come. In other words, what he's saying is his original audience is those in Asia Minor. So it's like he's writing them saying, hey, the persecution that, that you are suffering and facing, do not be disheartened by those troubles. So he doesn't say they're not a reality. He doesn't say, uh, pretend they don't exist. He's saying they do exist, but don't be disheartened by them. Because he wants them to look to the confidence and in confidence to the future of this immeasurable blessing that awaits them. And so their confidence is grounded and secured in Christ through his resurrection. In other words, their hope is the hope of the resurrection, the triumph over death itself. And so whatever happens to them in this world, what Peter is saying is it's trivial. It, it kind of doesn't matter that much, right? I might look at my kids and something they're experiencing right now at a young elementary age, and those are real feelings and thoughts about, I can say, guys, it really doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter you didn't get picked to be on that dodgeball team in recess. <laughs> it doesn't matter, uh, I probably should say this to my wife, but that math test doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things. It matters this week. And so that's what Peter's kind of saying. It's like, look, you're going through these trials. You're going through suffering. You're being persecuted. I know it's hard, but it's trivial when compared to the blessing of this future resurrection that is yours in Christ. And you've been promised this in Jesus. And so the same hope that these believers have in Asia Minor, Minor that was given from Peter's letter is the same hope that believers in persecuted areas have today. Some of those people that, some of us in this room have met these believers and it's the same hope which you and I have today as we face a culture which is less and less accepting of us and our practices even during hostile times. And so this, this letter is not only relevant to his original readers, this letter is relevant to his readers today. It continues to, to encourage us the living hope. And so we're giving a living hope that is anchored in the past. It remains in the present and is completed in the future. And so a hope that is anchored in the past. Think about Jesus' life. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was abused and he was killed. But he did not remain in the grave. Jesus rose again. And so our hope is anchored in that past that we look back on, that we get to celebrate week in and week out. We're only a couple months from Easter, and so we're going to point towards that and get to really celebrate that big on that day. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we also have a hope of our own resurrection Death is not the last word. And so I think when we, when we think about death, I know of a, a pastor who was 70 years old uh, who died in the, the hometown where I grew up this week. Uh, he had a really bad case of COVID and he passed away. And that is sad and that's sad for his family. But I think, man, he's no longer suffering in this world. He's no longer dealing with the trials and tribulations, the things that we deal with. He is in heaven rejoicing. He has that living hope and he's seeing it come to fruition now. And because of this living hope, we no longer have to fear death much less persecution. 
Because what's the worst that can happen? We get to be with Jesus, right? The worst person can, you should can do is kill us. And I know that might sound like a little bit crass or something, but think about through the resurrection of Christ. We can be sure that we follow him through death and life, which is why we have a hope that nothing in this life can quench. Nothing at all, not even death itself. Second, we see our living hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. He's presently working on our behalf. And he's making this message continually available to those in our world. If you look around our city, look at our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, look around our nation, look around our world, that his hope remains present for those who are in this life. And it, it continues to sustain us who are in Christ. And then we see our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is returning and he will complete the work of reconciling all things back to himself. That is good news. And so we see that God establishes our hope in Christ, a living hope, a hope that is anchored in the past, a hope that remains in the present, a hope that is completed in the future, which brings us to our second point, that God maintains our hope in our future inheritance. So not only are we promised a future resurrection, we are also promised a future inheritance. And so Peter says, look, not only is this the kind of life that you're going to live in the future, he kind of fills in what that life will look like, something that we have to look forward to. Pick up in the second part of verse 3, and I'll read through verse 5. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's point is that they are sojourners in this world. They are facing suffering now, but their hope is directed to this future inheritance that he talks about. A future inheritance which he said is, is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. Now, the New Testament regularly uses this Greek word for inheritance to refer not only to an earthly inheritance. You think about an earthly inheritance, right? A grandparent passes away, a parent passes away, and you think, man, maybe I'll get their car or their house or their land or their, or their money. Or if you come from a family that has nothing, you think, I don't know what they have, but I don't want it. It's in a storage shed. But here, he's referring to a future heavenly reward, our future inheritance. We talked about last week in this terms of a retirement. Most of us understand retirement here and now. And so we're kind of putting away each month, hoping by 65 or 70, we can retire. But when we look at our future eternal inheritance, it's like a future, our heavenly retirement. And that, that we are giving our time, our talent, and treasure here and now because it's not much of a sacrifice if we're looking forward to this future inheritance that has already been promised to us in Christ. And here's what's cool about this inheritance. The inheritance you might get left here, it will eventually rust. I think about this old farm truck that my great-grandfather gave to my dad. It's stacked full of firewood right now. And my dad said, one day, if you want it, it'll be yours. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Except for I know that it's continuing to rust. He told me yesterday the mirrors have already fallen off of it. I'm like, by the time it gets to where it's mine, do I actually want this, like, hunking piece of junk? Um, you know? Um, I, I think about uh, other things, even, you know, uh, property, houses, all of that. They're imperishable. They get defiled. They, they are going to fade away. But here he says this heavenly inheritance is imperishable. That means it can't decay. It's unable to be worn out with the passage of time. Our inheritance, he says, is also undefiled. In other words, it's unstained by sin. 
He says our inheritance is unfading. It never grows old. I think about, I like technology, you know, and so I like to get the new iPhone every couple years. But it's like, man, two years ago, the iPhone I got was like amazing. And all of a sudden, two years later, I'm like, it's kind of fading, right? Like there's a new camera and the screen's this much bigger. And now they took all the buttons away and charged me $500 more. But those things fade over time. They says, this inheritance for you that we can't really fathom in our minds, can we? I mean, think about Christmas time. We're not that far removed from Christmas and all those gifts that my kids look forward to. And they're like, all the toys I think are broken. I don't really know where many of them are already. We're two months removed. And so he says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, for God himself has stored it up. He's reserving this inheritance for you, and it will continue to be there, reserved for you. So that's why we look at this life and how we live this life. That it's not much of a sacrifice to know that this is what we are going towards. And so this is why we don't only live for this life. Now you hear the phrase, we hear this a lot, right? You only live once after all. So live this best life. We kind of pointed this last week. Peter was saying, look, if you aren't in Christ, then live this life like as best as you can. Get the best job, the most money, and live this life. Because if you aren't in Christ, this is the best that it's ever going to get. And your future you have to look forward to is literally hell. But he says, if you're in Christ, the worst that this life can give you, the suffering, the trials, the tribulations, it's the closest you'll ever get to hell. And you have this great eternity to look forward to. And so when you hear someone say, you only live once, it's like you're halfway true here. It made me think this week of uh, the Eminem song uh, where he talks about you only get one shot. Okay, if you watch the Super Bowl halftime show, Eminem was fresh on my mind. But um, I'm not going to read the whole song, and this is the first time I've ever quoted Eminem in a sermon. But he says, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? This is your shot. If you're not following Jesus, it's your shot to trust him. If you are following Jesus, then your future inheritance will not only cause your worst experience, your worst day on this earth to become a distant memory. It will make even the most exotic places on earth and the finest moments of our lives, which most of us live for, pale in comparison. I think about some of the places I want to go. And Lord willing, I'll get to go there. My wife and I really want to go to Hawaii. So if anyone wants to provide childcare for my kids for a week or two, please let me know because we want to go to Hawaii. I'm sure it's beautiful and exotic. We're watching this show right now and they're Cancun. I'm like, that looks pretty, pretty sick. But I know there's places I won't ever get to go to. But when we get to the other side, I'll get to experience those things in all their glory in the new kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth. And so here our earthly treasure eventually fades away. Every human pleasure we have and hope for diminishes in time. And even the good that is done, it's is spoiled by our imperfections. And so what's the point? Here, that is all that is not eternal will come to an end. It has a start date and it has a death date. You know what that includes? That includes the church. Look at any church through history. All the churches that Paul wrote about in the New Testament. You can go back, they're not there anymore. You can't find them. And so every church this side of heaven has a start date and a, and a death date. But what we look forward to is an inheritance that will never fade. It never becomes defiled. It never perishes. It's there for all of eternity. And then we get to lay these rewards at the feet of Jesus as we beckon and just worship him. And so though we are spiritually sojourners in this world, we have a future hope that includes an eternal heritage that will never fade away. It will never lose its glory because we can be certain that our heritage is being kept in heaven, revealed in the last time. This is a living hope. This is our future inheritance yet to be revealed. And as we sojourn on this earth, 
We have a hope of the resurrection and we look forward to the inheritance of the new heaven and the new earth. But I got one final question for us. How can we be assured in the face of challenges, in the face of trials, in the face of maybe persecution and temptation that we'll persevere to the end? It is difficult to live in a world that is hostile to Christianity. And like I've said each week, we don't experience here like they do in other nations. But I have lived in other parts of this country, so it is probably a little more challenging here than most cities in our country. It is challenging to maintain a Christian witness when you are bombarded by insults and ridicule and abuse. Well, maybe you're even insecure about speaking up. But the good news is, verse 5, Peter points to God our Father. And he says that he will secure his children on this during our, during our sojourn. He says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, no matter how hard your life is on this earth, we can cling to the promises that God has given us and we can cling to that God's faithfulness, that God will keep our, his promise and that he chose us, as we looked at last week, for a moment of suffering. But he also guards us, his, his children. He protects us by his power until we obtain this inheritance. And so God has promised to guard us against anything bad that may happen to us. But we also know that we're told that we will not avoid suffering. We will not avoid persecution on this side. So how does God guard us if Christian suffering is to be expected. God's power does not shield believers from the trials and sufferings of this life. You hear some groups teach and preach that message. Call it, kind of call us the health and wealth gospel and you know, live your best life now. God does not promise us that. But he does promise to protect us from that which would cause us to fall away. Think about it. What would, what would cause you, what would prevent you from maintaining your allegiance to Christ until the end? If you're like me, you thought about this. You wake up one day, you're in a season of a struggle or a, a, a sin, a habitual thing, and you think, have I done it too many times? <laughs> have I fallen too many times? So the obvious answer is sin. And sin stems from what? Unbelief. Our failure to hope in God during our earthly sojourn. And so while we must continue in faith as Peter shows us to receive our future salvation, he reminds us, no matter how hard life may become, and you, I don't know what everyone's dealing with in the room, so some of you might be in a really hard season right now. Some of you might be in a really hard challenge. But he says that God sustains our faith by his power. That is good news. You don't want me to sustain your faith because I'll fail. You don't want to try to sustain it on your own. Now, God has given us the church to help us in that, but God himself is the one who sustains our faith by his power. And so do you ever worry? Maybe I could lose my salvation. Maybe I've done it one too many times. If you're truly saved, and only God knows, and if you could lose your salvation, you already would have. You would have already lost it, which is why Peter's telling us that God is guarding you through faith and that God is the one who's protecting us. And so this is good news. This is where our living hope arises, which should cause us to get up in the morning, even on the worst day. Realize we have this living hope because when our trials and doubts appear, and they will, if you're not in them right now, they will appear. We are not left to sustain our faith by our own power, but by his power. And so God guards our faith through our suffering and our trials. And this is the promise that Peter's readers needed to hear as they faced persecution in Asia Minor. This is the promise that we need to hear today as we are facing increasing troubles in the West towards our faith. And we are reminded of our living hope. And so if you are here, or if you're hearing my voice, 
and you've never believed in him today, knowing that it would be impossible for you to believe if God's power was not at all work within you already. And so as we conclude, you say, what should our response be to this? What should our response be to a living hope? A living hope that's anchored in the past, that's secured in the present, that's presently experienced and, and guarded in the future. What should that, our response be to that God? Well, Peter's already told us. If you, if you go back in your Bible, look at verse 3. Our response should be this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what we're going to do now. Ben's going to come back up and he's going to finish us out. And we're, going to, we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to bless the living hope of God that he has given us in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond. God, we thank you for this living hope. God, this life is hard. This life is challenging. But we have a living hope in you. God, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you for your mercy, your grace, and your kindness that you call us to yourself through your son, through his death on the cross and his resurrection. God, we pray for those who are tuning in or hearing my voice in the room, or God, that this message that you've given us to carry to the world around us, God, that they would hear this and realize that you are calling them to yourself as well. And God, that you have provided salvation for us, that you have provided a living hope and that we can get through the trials and tribulations, the challenges, the suffering, the persecution in this life because of your power made manifest here. God, we love you. We thank you. God, we want to respond now by blessing you in worship through song. It's in your name, by your power, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.